how much do you want Messi to win this World Cup? And how much are you like the rest of the world it now seems? Do you hate Ronaldo now? So I want to stress something before I say this answer. This comes from a very irrational place. (laughs) And I understand how unlikable it will make me sound. I don't want anything good for either of them. (laughs) It's not that I don't want happiness in the world, but neither of them are capable of bringing any joy to me. I love it. That's honest. I'm okay with that. So who do you want to win the World Cup now then? France, Morocco or Argentina? (laughs) From Apple News and Metal Arc Media, I'm Brendan Hunt. And I'm Rebecca Lowe. And this is After the Whistle. Reminder, there will be adult language. It is official. Leo Messi is in the final of the World Cup. Immediate reactions are on the way. We'll also chat a little Geo Reyna Greg Berhalter controversy, and later we are joined by the one and only Seth Myers. Do not miss out. Rebecca, here we are with a finalist. We have one of our two World Cup 2022 finalists. And doesn't it sort of feel right? It's almost like Leo Messi's in the final of the World Cup. All is right with the world. Yeah, because like three of the last four World Cups have been, you kind of wait for the moment when he gets knocked out. And it's like, no, poor Messi. It's not what we thought he was. No, it's really all four because he still lost in 2014, even though they made it to the final. I'm just so tired of that story, you know, and he's, he's brought us so much joy. I'm quite keen to see him walk away. With this trophy. You know what? I think I might be going down that road as well. I mean, I do think Morocco winning it would be, you know, a story for the ages. But watching him today, Brendan, I started to come around to your way of thinking of actually this is the bigger story. I mean, it is the bigger story, but I just love the Morocco underdog story with the fact that it's so extreme. It's not like Leicester winning the Premier League in 2016, but it's not completely dissimilar. You know, it's so unheard of for an underdog to win the Mm. World Cup. But Messi, watching him today, what he gave to the game just today, what he gave to those teammates and those fans in the stadium and then everybody across the world, people who love football, whether you're Argentinian or not, he deserves it. He's of an age where he won't come back again, won't do a Ronaldo. And sometimes in life, it's just written. When he stood over that penalty in the first half, he looked to me like he was almost, there was not a single other important thing in his world and there won't be for another week. It was like that face of his. It was like that's all that he cares about and has cared about for a number of years. I certainly since he left Barcelona. It's just, I think I heard somebody on the radio the other day describe him as Argentina's number one, his number two, his number three, his number four, PSG's his number seven. That's basically how important it is to him right now. And when he stood up that penalty, and I'm not going to lie, I had a couple of Kane flashbacks. I thought if it can happen to Kane... Well, I don't know, going to happen to Messi. You know, if you're the greatest of all time, you step up in those moments. You step up and he did. And what a penalty that was. Oh my gosh. And against the best penalty stopper at this World Cup, who guessed the right way too. But (laughs) Messi cares not. That was was exciting. And then as like a, a side project, he decided to get young Julian Alvarez into the race for the golden boot by letting him have the next two. Can we talk about that first Alvarez goal, by the way? Oh, yeah. I love it. It was just everything, wasn't it? It was a beautiful mess. He picks (laughs) up the ball. He sort of ends up with a careening ball at the halfway line. Just runs straight up the gut. (laughs) The ball bounces off a Croatia defender, and then another Croatia defender has a chance to clear. 
And then it happens to bounce off Alvarez's stomach. <laughs> you know Barney Rone, who writes for The Guardian? Yes. Oh, he's I great. mean, a, a wordsmith, if ever there was one. He described it on Twitter. I don't know if you saw it, Brendan. If anyone didn't see this tweet, it's brilliant. This is how he described that goal. He said, that was like Maradona 86 recreated after closing time at the pub using wheelie bins and a tennis ball. <laughs> it's, it's just like, it was so true, wasn't it? It was a bit of yeah. luck, a bit of this, off this, off that, back to me and goal. Yeah. I was reminded after Alvarez's brace of an anecdote that was going around before the World Cup that we, I don't think we've mentioned here. But, you know, Alvarez is at Manchester City as of this year. People are focusing on Haaland, Erling Haaland, more than they mm-hmm. are on Mr. Alvarez, but he's having his moments. But there was a training session before the World Cup where Alvarez is sort of walking by and Pep is talking with the Portuguese contingent in Man City and with Rodri, who is Spanish. And they were apparently, you know, not Pep, but the other players were talking about who's going to win the World Cup. Would it be Portugal or would it be France or would it be Spain? And Guardiola just says, well, you know who has the best chance? And they're like, who? All he did was point at Alvarez. Really? And now look, <laughs> we have Argentina in the final. Did he really? What a great story. Yeah. Yeah. And, cool. and the other thing I've seen on social media since the game is that picture that's going around of 10 years ago when Alvarez asked Messi when he was 10 years of age for a selfie. So there's a picture of Messi, age 25, with Alvarez, age 10. And then it's side by side with them celebrating in a World Cup semi-final. I mean, is that not the most mind-blowing? I, I love things like that so, so much, don't you? I mean, it makes you appreciate all the more his composure yeah. in this. You know, like he just, he looks <sighs> like he belongs. I mean, he's in ahead of, you know, Lautaro Martinez and Paulo Dybala. And no one seems to mind. Like he comes off the pitch and those guys who he has bumped from the starting lineup are like happily embracing him. It's pretty fantastic. I would say good luck Pep Guardiola now though, because... Were he to go and lift this World Cup or even star in the final and lose, after how Alvarez has played in this World Cup, he can't warm the bench for Manchester City, can he, when he goes back to the Etihad? But he doesn't really like to play Alvarez and Haaland because then he loses out on one of his many creative midfielders. It's going to be interesting. It's a nice problem to have, as they say, for Pep Guardiola. But he's, he's hardly played at all in the first section of the Premier League. He was very much a substitute, scored a few, but that's going to be an interesting situation at City for sure. Yeah. But you know, every once in a while they gotta play Bournemouth. So, you know <laughs> under new American ownership, by the way. <laughs> today or yesterday it was confirmed Bill Foley's coming to take over Bournemouth. Yes. No, you're right. They have a number of games, don't they? They play like sixty a season. I just think it would be hard in a really big Premier League game if he goes and lifts the World Cup and maybe scores the winner to not play him. But then you've got Haaland yeah. and we've all forgotten about him. So uh let's just talk about Messi's assist, shall we, on Alvarez's mm. second and Argentina's third. It was, and especially as it was against the defender who's had so much joy and so much praise this World Cup, whose the pronunciation yeah. of his last name is Guardiol. Beautiful. And he was, what, he's 20? <laughs> and Messi was like, yeah, beep, beep, bah. <laughs> Wasn't he? He was amazing. I mean, he spun him around. Yeah. He, he, he literally spun him around and then left him in the dust. It was like happening in slow motion, like, oh no, <laughs> Guardiol, whose praises have been sung. Far and mm. wide, this tournament. Mm. And then you're watching, oh no, is Messi going to do that thing? Okay, no, Messi's turning around. Oh no, Messi's turning him around. Messi's not going to get past. Oh no, Messi got past him. <laughs> it, yeah, it had to have been humbling and it will haunt our man Guardiol for a very, very long time. But, you know, better you be humiliated for uh, the third goal of a 3 nothing loss as opposed to the third goal of a 3-2 loss. So hopefully he won't beat himself up too much. 
You know what strikes me, Brendan, as well? I think you said it in the last pod or the one before about Argentina growing into this World Cup and you're spot on and uh, you've had them since the beginning to win it. And I'm Thank you. That- Thank you for noticing. Yes, yes, that is all true. Those, yeah. all, those are all things I said. Yes, go, go on. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, I just think the trajectory is so steady, but that performance today was different from the previous, however many they've had to play so far at this World Cup. That felt like, ah, Argentina are at the World Cup. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they haven't had that signature dominant victory. They've had a signature gritty victory or two, not least over Holland, despite almost letting that one get pissed away. But this is like, oh, yeah, right. We arrived fully formed. We are now fully Argentina. And we did not, like, say, Spain, peak too early. Yeah. We are ascending at exactly the right pace up the mountain. Yeah. Good luck to them. Good luck to them in the final. It's certainly going to be magic. That's that's whether it's Argentina-France or Argentina-Morocco for two different reasons. It's going to be magic. Um. Shall we move on, Brendan, to a story that has come out this week concerning the U.S. men's national team and Gio (laughs) Reyna? For our audience who've sort of seen it but haven't really heard too much about it, can you give us a quick sort of abridged version of what happened this week between Greg Berhalter, U.S. soccer and Gio Reyna? So going back to the U.S.'s performance in the World Cup, Giovanni Reyna was noticeably Low on minutes to uh, the complaint of many U.S. fans, including right here on this venerable podcast. (laughs) And, like, there were implications of beef. And, like, there's never been beef before between them, as far as anyone knew. So, like, how could there possibly be beef? And Eric Winalda got involved with some comments, and then he walked back. So it was all very, like, confusing. So then this week, Berhalter appears at some, you know, leadership summit, does one of those Q&As that they pay handsomely for. And his understanding is that it's a completely... Off the record, only for the attendees of this event, mm. Q&A. H- how many people were at the event, roughly, Brendan? Uh, I mean, hundreds. Yeah, okay. So that's great. Off the record, in front of hundreds of people. Mm-hmm. Carry on. But maybe only, you know, one of them had a phone. Oh, wait, all hundreds of them did? Okay, sure, 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 sure. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, it's a leadership conference. And so we're talking about, like challenging moments in leadership. And um, he refers to a player at this World Cup with whom there was a problem that this player in the pre-World Cup friendlies that they had, you know, behind closed doors, this player was so clearly and conspicuously giving a horrible lack of effort that they almost sent this player home. That it even got to the point where like other players were noticing this player may not may or may not have had like on pitch scuffles during training with teammates, which is less of a concern because that happens all the time still. And uh, the player apologized to the team. Berhalter went on to add, but we told this player, if you're going to apologize, you can't just say, I'm sorry. You got to explain why you're doing it. Like, that's to be a real apology. And reminder, <laughs> Reyna is what, 20 years old at mm-hmm. this point? And, you know, Berhalter was you know, framing it as like a, you know, so, hey, you know, leadership won out. We did good. That got leaked, and it became very apparent very soon that he was talking about Gio Reyna, and now it's an issue of dirty laundry among family getting aired in public, and there's many, many angry reactions going around, including a very terse one from our young Mr. Reyna himself. Yeah, Gio Reyna issued a statement on his social media, didn't he? Quite a long one, didn't he? Talking, (laughs) I won't read it to you, but talking all about how he was under the impression from Coach Berhalter that things like what happened stay in the dressing room. And yes, he did behave badly. And yes, he was devastated when, according to Gio, Berhalter told him before the World Cup, before some warm-up games over in Qatar, that he was basically not going to have anything like the amount of minutes he thought he was going to have at the World Cup. Sorry, can I just stop there? What a weird thing to do. 
What a weird, weird... Imagine for one second, Gareth Southgate walks up to James Madison, right? And by the way, this isn't a great comparison because Reyna was always going to get more minutes than Madison. But he go, imagine if he did, right? Go up to Madison and say, James, thanks for coming. It's really great to have you as part of the team. Brilliant. Just so you know, um, not actually going to get on at all. Um, probably maybe like a minute, maybe two. I mean, who knows? But, um, but thanks for coming anyway. Brilliant. All right, now can you go out and um, play in this friendly? That is one of the strangest forms of man management ever. So this kid is 20. He's 20. He's not 15. So I don't love his response. So I'm disappointed in the way that Rayner reacted and didn't really try a leg at all. Apparently he's just walking around in the practice match before the World Cup. Rayner does not need to be reacting like that. He needs to definitely find a bit more maturity and a bit more class. Yeah. But for me, Berhalter is, is massively on the wrong side of this more than Gio Rayner is. You don't go to a conference on leadership, tell a story. And by the way, his his phraseology was amazing. He said, at the last World Cup, as though it was two years ago. It was literally a minute ago. It was a minute ago. We know who you're talking about. And then you expect that nobody there is going to leak it. I mean, a huge, massive, massive, gigantic, humongous mistake. Everybody knows, unless you're talking one-on-one and you both agree this is off the record. It's on the record. Oh, <sighs> So it's a big error, huge error for me. And I think it's going to affect whether or not Berhalter stays. I don't think he should stay after that. The irony, Brendan, he's talking about good leadership. Such bad leadership. What do you reckon? I'll stop talking now. It's not my country. Sorry. Well, I mean, it's it's horrible timing. I mean, he's in the middle of a contract negotiation and then this comes out and it's the double whammy of bad form and clearly getting on the bad side of one of our best players. Certainly the prospect people are most excited about. And it wasn't just Burhalter who was pissed off. DeAndre Yedlin has come out and had comments that, you know, again, he's, he's not naming names, but he's talking about how there are some people who were not locked in. And if you're not locked in, then get out. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but that, that was the gist. And Brendan, it would never have happened if Burhalter hadn't said to Gio, you're not really going to be a part of this World Cup, but thanks for coming. I mean, that is a very strange thing to do, is it not? Why, why would you do it? Uh, well, all right, if I may put on my well-worn and super comfortable Greg Berhalter apologist hat, we don't know the, quite the context of that conversation. I mean, I don't think he like knocked on his door at 1130 and said, like, hey, man, real quick, you're not going to play much. All right, goodbye. <laughs> um, like, I, I hope it would be in the context of a larger conversation. True. That is true. I mean, his reaction is bad. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. You know, a matter of just saying, like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start Tim Weah. Just so you know, I'm going to start Tim Weah for probably every game. I bet you were hoping you were going to start. But why does he have to tell him that? You don't have to tell him that because Tim Weah could get injured after 30 minutes and then you've Maybe. pissed him off for no reason. So we don't need to be telling that. I think this is so big, actually, that I think it will have an effect on the contract situation that he is apparently in the middle of, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, for one thing, you know, and we've talked about this, like when you're the national team coach, you're not going to get in there and um, make a lot of new signings because you have your talent pool and that's it. So job one is make it work with the players you have. And if he's not making it work with Gio Reyna, that's a real problem. Having said that, Reyna is still you know 20 when this mm-hmm. happened. And you remember, people are sort of like forgetting in this context, but there was a couple of years ago during the qualification process for this World Cup, and when suddenly it was announced that Weston McKinney had been sent home yeah. overnight. You're, you're sent away. Hugely important player. And that, it has to be said, he kind of worked out because he kind of snapped too after that and has been, you know, a consummate professional, uh, as far as we know, at least for the national team. I mean, he also apparently talks a lot and uh, to the point where his uh, his teammates get uh, amused and then annoyed and then amused again. But that's a whole separate issue. So Burhalter has priors of, of having a sense of when he has to bring the hammer down. 
But it's just weird. It's a, it's a bad situation. And as someone pointed out on Twitter, I wish I remember who, but it's probably more than one person anyway, this kind of conflict rarely works out well for the coach. Oh, absolutely. That's why I think it's going to have an effect. It rarely does. I'm afraid we live in an era on the whole of player power, even more so, unfortunately, stating a fact where the manager in this particular situation does not have the profile of the player. He just doesn't. Yeah. And therefore, he, he won't have as much power. We shall see. But can I say in the macro... In the macro of this, though, I find it wonderful. I find it joyous. I find it meaningful that here we are with a national team controversy of national scope. Yeah. Like now, everyone in sports is talking about this. This is not some niche. Thing. Like when McKinney got suspended, they didn't even mention it on PTI. I bet this gets a segment on PTI. That's how big yeah, it is. You're right. This delights me. Exactly. That's what we want. We want drama. It's a real sign of growth. Yeah. More drama. <laughs> Beautiful. So bring it, guys. Bring it. Ladies and gentlemen, here we are on another episode of After the Whistle, where we have a guest, an esteemed guest. You will know him from Saturday Night Live, from whence he went to become the host of Weekend Update, from whence he became host of Late Night with Seth Meyers. Please welcome the previously mentioned Seth Meyers. Thank you guys for having me. I'm so excited to be with you. Oh, we are more than excited. I have, have found out that you two have not met. No. no. I'm shocked by this. I thought there'd be like, you know, NBC mixers. I know. Or something. The mixers kind of went out the window with the pandemic. They, if anything, won't, don't want you to mix at all. Well, yeah, but you've both worked for NBC for like nine years. Yeah, <laughs> Seth is in Manhattan doing everything at 30 Rock. Am I right, Seth? Yeah. Yeah, we're all the way out in Blooming, Connecticut. I mean, lovely, sorry, lovely Connecticut. <laughs> Blooming is Oops. the name of the town. The correct, Blooming, Connecticut. <laughs> what an amazing town that would be, by the way. Uh, well, Seth, besides your, your esteemed uh, credits and your known track record for entertaining of America, you are also pretty damn big soccer fan yes. and a big reason about how I became a soccer fan. Now, you even, if I remember correctly, you were attending matches as far back as the 94 World Cup? 94 World Cup, I went with our friend Pete Gross to a game in New York, I believe Italy-Bulgaria, a pretty stale game that was won by a Baggio goal, or maybe not. Somebody else, I should have Googled it. But the fact is, <laughs> I did not catch soccer fever that day. Mm. It was the 94 American World Cup. I'm sure there were a lot of people there who were big fans, but I don't think it had fully caught on in the States the way that I'm hoping the next World Cup here will. So it wasn't until I moved to Amsterdam, where Brendan and I met, that I became a, a uh, soccer fan. And so... Brendan talks of the time there and how he kind of got sucked in really by the culture. And it'd be interesting to know whether or not that was the Netherlands or whether that would have been any European country because we're all so crazy about football, but it was the Netherlands. So are you therefore, for anyone who doesn't know, a Netherlands fan because like Brendan, of your love for that country having lived there? Yes, I am a massive Netherlands fan. I think the love affair began, I watched on a very tiny television, the Argentina... Holland game in the 98 World Cup with the famous Bergkamp goal. And the thing that it had that the 94 World Cup certainly didn't have is the whole city. You just walked outside. Yeah. No one you passed hadn't seen it. And the whole city turned orange and everybody was so excited. And not that they needed any reason to drink more, but I felt like they drank a little bit more. It felt like a two-week-long party. And yeah, I was just all in. Plus, that was a very lovable Dutch team. And, you know, at the time, I did not have my Boston Red Sox 
scratch itched. And I liked that the Dutch felt very much like the Boston Red Sox, right? They were the best team that hadn't won it. And they'd had these sort of heartbreaking endings. So I felt like real sort of common cause with the Dutch fans about their team. And I like getting on board. Uh, that was a great Dutch team with uh, Dennis Bergkamp and Mark Overmars and uh, Edgar Davids and Patrick Clauvert and Edward van der Sar. Yopstam. Yopstam. I remember once Yopstam <laughs> getting his face stitched, like a cut on his eye stitched, and he looked the way I do mm. when a monologue joke goes slightly bad. <laughs> Just no, like barely raising the other yeah. eyebrow. I've, I remember this exactly oh. as well. We watched that game together. That was the first game of Euro 2000, which um, mm-hmm. Holland won one nothing on a late Frank de Boer penalty. But yeah, Yapstam gets hurt at one point. And just by either sheer luck of his positioning or by excellent directing, <laughs> he's getting his eye stitched, but he's looking basically directly into the camera that must be all the way across the stadium. And he's not blinking as this needle <laughs> yeah. goes in and out of his, of his eyebrow. It was mm. it was incredible. It's unforgettable. Yapstam also sounds like slang for a man who can't feel pain. <laughs> yeah, those guys are real Yapstam. Yeah. But that I so I should note, I'm glad you brought up the 2000 Euro Cup because that is one of the best summers of my life and I recently made a list of the most painful Dutch losses since my entry in 1998 and number 1 Brendan was us watching that Italy loss together. In your weird apartment. Have you talked about your weird apartment? Uh, no. I've I've alluded to it. I yes. don't feel like... If you've alluded to it, you haven't done it justice, because it deserves its own breakout <laughs> podcast. Well, I'd love to hear someone else's description of it, frankly, so, wow. so fire away. All right. Brendan lived with 15 Dutch guys <laughs> above a McDonald's, and... During the Euro Cup, they cleared out their living room and built bleachers around a television. So it was like you were sitting in the stands watching a game. And I sat with these 15 Yopstoms as we watched. They actually were not Yopstoms because everyone acutely felt the pain of a game where we missed two penalties in regular time and then lost on penalty kicks. And I believe, right, there was a red card. Italy played with 10 men for like 60 minutes. For Yeah, from like the half hour mark or something. It was a staggeringly bad loss. And that was the other thing about being in Holland for those games is when they lost, the speed at which the orange left the city, it was, you know, like by the time you walked out of that, what should have been condemned apartment that Brendan <laughs> lived in with 15 guys. Like the whole street, there was not, a, there was no orange to be seen. So Seth, I was going to ask, so obviously one of the many things we've talked about over the last few weeks, um, Seth has been Messi and it's been Ronaldo. So I'm kind of interested in where you come at this debate. How much do you want Messi to win this World Cup? And how much are you like the rest of the world, it now seems, do you hate Ronaldo now? So I want to stress something before I say this answer. This comes from a very irrational place, and I understand how unlikable it will make me sound. I don't want anything good for either of them. (laughs) They have brought me nothing but sadness. I'm pretty sure Ronaldo's eliminated Holland twice from major tournaments, and Messi has done the same. And so, you know, I wish them the best. I hope that they make their... Fans and supporters happy. It's not that I don't want happiness in the world, but neither of them are capable of bringing any joy to me. Yeah. I love it. That's honest. I'm okay with that. So who do you want to win the World Cup now then? France, Morocco, or Argentina? 
fair enough. I don't really either. You know what was the most wonderful thing that happened? I'm pretty sure Louis Van, Louis Van Gaal gave the answer that I want to give. I don't care and I'm not going to watch. <laughs> I love Here's it. the thing. You guys, right? Football is your life and you're both very good at it. It is still just a thing. I have three kids and a job. I cannot be a fan of a sport. I can only be a fan of teams, right? Once my teams are out, I have to use that time to be a better father, a better husband, yeah, and a better talk show host. And so again, God, what happened to you? I don't want anybody to listen to this and think, you know what, Seth's right, I shouldn't watch the World Cup final. I'm just saying, you know, I'm not going to be there with you. <laughs> okay, okay. But there is a team that you love that you can't just forget about until May of every year, and that yeah. is West Ham United, because yes. that is your Premier League team. So yes. talk me through, was it the kit? Was it the claret and blue? Because you love your orange. This is a great Question. I think at the time there were no orange teams in the Premier League, but <laughs> and still I all. was doing a show in London at the Soho Theatre with my Ooh. comedy partner, Jill Benjamin. Mm -hmm. And this is 99, I think, maybe 2000. I wanted to go see a Premier League game, went to the ticket agents, the three teams that were in town, Arsenal, Charlton Athletic, West Ham. I thought this is my one chance to go to East London. And look, I've been loyal. I've stuck with them. Don't get me wrong. Since it was basically a coin flip, do I wish I'd picked Arsenal? You know, <laughs> <laughs> if I could go back in time. I don't know why I didn't. I really liked Fever Pitch. It seemed like a very natural, certainly when you were talking about who's the closest to the Red Sox, I think at the time Arsenal was, right? I mean, when they remade that book mm. as an American movie, they made it the Red Sox. <laughs> but I went out there and um, had a lovely time. A miserable, rainy game against Newcastle. 1-0. Ate a meat pie that I'm just getting over. <laughs> I actually think you picked right. Well, first of all, thank God you didn't pick Charlton Athletic. Can we just I say did. that? Okay, yeah. so well done on that. But I think you picked right because you will come with a lot of credibility for picking a team that aren't, you know, top all the time and always winning, although Arsenal yes. had a dodgy time re recently. So I think it brings you a lot of credibility. And the thing is, you just can't switch. Once you pick, you can't switch. Speaking of Charlton Athletic, now I was a big Paolo Di Canio fan. Um. Not of his soccer, just of his political fascism after the fact. But <laughs> at the time, I didn't. I don't even know if I'm right about that. I know there's some dodgy. There is some dodgy. There's some dodgy stuff. But I love Paolo Di Canio. And Brendan, do you remember you got me a, a Paolo Di Canio jersey? And do you remember the terrible error you made? Yeah. And I, I wish I could say it was an accident. It was actually a horrible misjudgment. Go on. He got me a Charlton Athletic Paolo Di Canio jersey. <laughs> now, Di Canio had transferred to Charlton by that point. It wasn't just... No, well, yeah. Now, now everybody's got your back. <laughs> an unwearable gift. <laughs> oh, my God. Where is that shirt? I want to know. I actually might not know either. <laughs> <laughs> in my defense, and this is instructive for all our, our new soccer fans out there, it's a step on the road uh, as becoming a soccer fan. You get so excited about it, you learn you can buy shirts, and you start buying people shirts all the time. Now, I was like, oh, Seth's birthday is coming up, and Seth is in town, and he loves Paolo Ducanio, but now Paolo's on Charlton. I gotta get him a Charlton shirt. Oh, Not realizing gosh. that Charlton yeah. and West Ham are bitterest, bitterest rivals. And I didn't know my error until, like, the next year, it was my birthday, and uh, the great Jordan Peele, who was in Boom Chicago at the time, approaches me with uh, with a present. His eyes are beaming. He's very proud of the present he's going to give me like, to this like Ajax slash Arsenal slash Holland slash US fan. And I open it, and it's a Bayern Munich jersey. And like, what? What? Are you, <laughs> what are you doing? And at that moment, I realized oh, Charlton. Damn it! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what have I this done? Bad present. So Seth. 
looking ahead then, you mentioned it right at the beginning, 2026. I mean, yeah. we've never had a World Cup in England in my lifetime. So back in 1966, it was the World Cup and obviously wasn't born. Would love nothing more than England to have a host a World Cup. How much are you looking for? I mean, in three and a half years, the World Cup's going to be in the United States, Mexico and Canada. It's going to be amazing. I'm so excited. I'm so excited because I feel like my kids will be old enough to really appreciate it. Yeah. And, you know, obviously there's an expectation you're going to have a couple four or five games in New York, which will be so lovely. It would be so much fun to travel, to go see the Netherlands, should they end up playing somewhere cool. It's also nice to know that you'll be able to watch games when your internal clock wants to watch sports. <laughs> like, it's yeah. been super. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. you guys, I was on a train with my kids <laughs> during the. Holland-Argentina game, that's not how you're supposed to watch it. <laughs> and let me just say, when it was 2-0, I angrily, angrily stopped watching. And so what happened for me is then I got a lot of excited texts, and I got to lose twice. Oh, <laughs> I got texting. to lose, petulantly stop mm. watching, mm. get told, no, mm. there's a chance. <laughs> got to watch and lose again, all on a train. <laughs> it was the total opposite of being in the lines of line while everybody was wearing orange, being on a train where nobody gave shit about it. <laughs> this is a man who had to stop watching the Argentina Holland semifinal when it went to penalty kicks in 2014 because he had a show to do. Oh. He had an iPad on his lap, but he kept going back and forth to watch. This was on TV. And then finally he saw, <laughs> he saw someone had texted you that uh, Argentina had won. And then there on screen, you took that iPad and hurled it to the ground. <laughs> Melted down. In real time, you watched me go through the like five stages of grief. <laughs> But or Seth, is there anything know. else? Is there anything else in this world? I mean, even other sport. I feel like there's nothing else that gives us this ridiculous pain that we keep coming back and knocking on the door. Can we come back in for more pain? And the fact that it's every four years, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, luckily, that you can, obviously, as evidenced by how heartbroken I was in 2000, you can get excited about the Euro Cup. Like, that would count. Seeing that, I would accept as a reward if Holland uh, won that. But um, yeah, it's just heartbreaking when it's over. And I think, again, since 98, I think six times Holland's gone out on penalties. Mm. That is the slowest of deaths. Yeah. As you yeah. as you just realize, it, <laughs> it's just someone, someone making eye contact while they very slowly slide <laughs> a sword through your midsection. <laughs> so true. So true. But I still can't come up with another way. Can you? I've really thought about this a lot. I still can't come up with a better way to finish a game. Yeah, I agree. I don't. Everybody says they should change it. And nobody has a good idea. No, exactly. And you know what? It is dramatic, right? Sure. Like, it is. It duels is. were not a good way to solve arguments. <laughs> and then you look at Hamilton, still a hit. Right. Right. Drama. Exactly. Oh, how is that uh, rap musical about the Euro 2000 semifinal going that you were going to be writing? Well, you refused to send me your verses, so I'd say it's half done. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard to rhyme Clauvert. Yeah, Clauvert's oh, not yeah. a great word. <laughs> on that note, Seth, we are so chuffed to have you join us here on After the Whistle. Thank you. Sorry again for your pain this year, but you'll be back for more pain in 2026. And um, I will. We, I'll be first in line for the pain. <laughs> and, uh, and to all the teams remaining, I wish you nothing. <laughs> Because I won't be watching. I wish you nothing at all. I'm going to go watch uh, uh, Fleischmann's in Trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and Paolo Ducanio, we salute you, but not the way you want no, us not to. Not the way you want us to. <laughs> Charlton Athletics, Paolo Ducanio. Remember, everyone, that's the team you should associate with him. 
for always. Thank you, Seth. You're the best. Final thoughts, Rebecca. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready for bits and bobs. There's bit number one. Apparently, uh, someone in France got into Brett Goldstein's lasagna recipe. Um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> because some some guys are sick and missing training. Rabio and Upa Makano were not a train today. They have both started every game except for the Tunisia game, where you know that was a whole B team going in. So yikes. Bon nuit. That's all I've got to say. Bon nuit. Bon nuit. Bon nuit with your sicky tummy. <laughs> it is the first person I thought of when I saw that report. Um, and then the other thing, just to round up today's episode, obviously the last time we were talking was straight after the England game and, and Harry Kane's penalty miss, which, oh, so many memes, so many threads, so much discussion about that penalty miss. And that interesting one about apparently Jordan Henderson was keeping all the French players away from him when he took his first penalty and making sure that Kane had freedom of mind and all that. And then Henderson was off the field. He'd been substituted, I think, apparently, when uh, Kane took a second. So there was nobody to protect him. Bless him. So apparently uh, Giroud was in his face and all this kind of stuff. I'm not sure about that. Just score the goal. Um, we have well another bit and bob here. Um, and this is just just horrible. Um of course, one of the most striking memories we're going to have this World Cup is the Iranian national football team uh, not singing their national anthem as as a protest for what was going on back at home. Now, they were not the only footballers in Iran who were joining protests. And today we learned that uh, one of those, a 26-year-old league footballer named Amir Nasser Azadani, according to reports, has been sentenced to death. Now, he's one of several who have been sentenced to death, and today apparently a wrestler, an Iranian wrestler, has been, has been arrested. But just to show again the incredible danger you know, and bravery of these footballers for doing what they did you know, with the eyes of the world on them. And it's admirable and terrifying. It's sickening, Brendan. It's absolutely sickening when I saw that story this morning. And if anyone had any doubt that they were brave or that they were under any real threat and in any real danger, I think this story shows us quite what is going on and quite how brave, as you say, they were. And actually that in retrospect and as the days go by, will go down as one of the headlines, one of the biggest moments at this World Cup and actually in World Cup history. And let's hope that there is a way to stop that from happening, that possibly there is a way. I don't know enough about, yeah. you know, world politics to know how that, how on earth that could be, but let's hope because it's horrific. Um, well, you know, as Roger Bennett likes to say, courage. Uh, speaking of Roger Bennett, uh, Rebecca, I was tickled to see that you appeared on the Men and Blazers podcast live in San Francisco the other day. Oh, it was so fun. We gave you a shout out, talked about the pod and all the GFOPs in the audience. And Roger and Dave have always been so incredibly supportive of me since I came here to America. So I love to go on the show as and when I can. And they're just like some sort of pop band. They just go like on tour around America and just meet fun people and just talk to all their fans. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. From where they were 10 years ago to where they are now, by the way incredible growth yeah and i guess just the night before that they were uh they did a show here in los angeles yeah yeah not invited i was not invited <laughs> but i'm glad i'm glad you were when i say fun people i said yeah fun people they talk to on yeah yeah you know they, they sound they sound fun it sounds like everyone with them is having a really great time <laughs> anyway <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. If you are loving the show, subscribe on Apple Podcasts and be sure to rate and review us, please. It really helps other people find the show. We've only got three episodes to go. And for round-the-clock World Cup news plus scores and standings, follow along on the Apple News app in My Sports where available. And we are going to be back with more World Cup coverage right here in your podcast feed tomorrow with France versus Morocco. A reminder, we want you guys to ask us questions. Now, to submit, you simply record your question via voice memo on your phone and email it to ATW, that's after the whistle, but just the initials, at meadowlark-media.com. That's the word meadow, immediately followed by the word lark, followed by just a dash, not the word dash, followed by the word media, not actual media, dot com. ATW at meadowlark-media.com. We'll select a few and we will answer them on our penultimate show that's fancy for next to last on December 17th. Uh, please keep the questions to 30 seconds or less and focus them on a football. And they are coming in thick and fast, by the way, Brandon. Oh. So get some more in and we'll pick the best ones. 